BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Pushkin. I'm Maeve Higgins and this is Solvable. Interviews with the world's most innovative thinkers working to solve the world's biggest problems. My solo goal is to get one million women and girls to learn how to code by the year 2030. I Am The Code is about coding at the same time is about giving women and girls power to go and change their lives. In this episode, Jacob Weisberg is in conversation with technologist and activist Mariam Jam. So think of everything you've ever done on a computer, searching, sending, playing, paying, and think of the role computers play in medicine, in science and transportation. None of this could happen without software, and software basically is code. Coders might be quiet, but they're powerful. Now, you probably know about the gender gaps in the fields of health and education and in economic and political opportunity, as well as security and just well-being. You know about them because you personally experience those gaps, or maybe you're just one of the lucky ones who have heard about them. Well, the Rockefeller Foundation has also gathered comprehensive data documenting a digital gender gap. An estimated 200 million fewer women are online compared to men. In June 2018, GSMA, which reports on the mobile industry, published data on the gender inequality in mobile technology, aka the way most of us around the world access the internet. Women on average are 26% less likely to use mobile internet than men, especially in low and middle income countries. And who makes the internet? Well, here in the US in 2016, Google found that black and Hispanic students were 1.5 and 1.7 times more likely to have an interest in learning computer science. But they're the very ones who are less likely to have access to those resources. Two thirds of white students report using computers at home, whereas only half of black and Hispanic students do. 
So if you're female, if you grew up disadvantaged, it's tough to manoeuvre yourself into the important and ever-expanding world that is coding. That is basically making computers do what we want them to do. That is, until Mariam came along. Mariam Jam knows what it's like to go from being powerless to powerful. Her life is pretty extraordinary. Today, she's a pioneer in system change and was named a young global leader of the World Economic Forum for her work supporting women and girls. But all of that came after she was abandoned as a child in rural Senegal before being raped at 11 years old and trafficked to France where the abuse continued. Mariam made her way to England and at 16 years old, she used a local library to teach herself how to read and write. She eventually became a technologist and quickly understood the power that that held. She sees her life now as a roadmap for other young girls. Jacob and Mariam get into that and into so much more too. So enjoy this conversation and I'll see you on the other side. Mariam, obviously your efforts to teach girls to code reflects your own experience. I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about how you came to this idea. I'm from Senegal, West Africa. That's where I was born. When I was growing up, I didn't have any education, so I didn't go to school. I couldn't read and write until I was 16 years old. And uh, when I was 11 years old, I was uh, abused by my Quranic teacher. My country is a Muslim country. So when I was 13 years old, I was trafficked from Senegal to France. And I ended up in the UK. So I used to do cleaning jobs and working in bars and hotels. I used to see people in suit and things like that, and I wanted to find a job. And um, I remember the, you know, some of the ladies were telling me, you know, we can't find your job because you don't have any skills. We can't put you in banks or uh, we can't put you, you know, in supermarkets, things like that like that because you need to communicate. Also, you need to speak English. My English was very, very broken. And then slowly, slowly, I started going to a local library, started learning how to read and, you know, being very disciplined and focused. And every day I'll spend two hours at the library. And then I uh, start learning uh, maths and, and how to input data on Excel. I started um, to learn how to code. In that time, Google was born. On their platform, they had a, a blog people can write, and then the blog will be converted. Um, you know, so you can write some text, and the text will be converted into into blog, and I discovered that. Um, but in that time, I had... I had so many anger in me and so many frustration. I was asking myself why I was in the UK, you know, why my mom abandoned us as children. So I had a lot of questions. And then uh, I was looking at BBC and TV, you know, all these channels. And then I just saw Bob Geldof and Bono, um, you know, <laughs> doing the... <laughs> Doing the live aid thing, and that just really made me very upset. And uh, I think that the way they came about was like, you know, okay, we are the saviors of Africa. We're going to save the whole world. You were upset because it was it seemed condescending to you. Yeah, it was really weird because I, I saw that, you know, like everybody was talking about poverty. And then I said, well, you know, actually... I was this sort of, I was this young woman in Africa growing up and you didn't do anything about it. And, you know, it wasn't their fault really, but I think, you know, people <laughs> could understand my, my frustration. And then I wrote a an open letter to Bono and Bob Geldof um, for the first time and, and asked them to back off from Africa. You wrote to them, just to make this clear, on the blog that you created after teaching yourself to read and write, teaching yourself to code and building yourself at a at a public library. 
My first open letter was to Bob Geldof and Bono. So I just asked them to back off from Africa. And then the Guardian pick it up, show it to Bob Geldof. He didn't like it. Um, you know, <laughs> Bono didn't like it either. And they thought that I was very ungrateful as an African. Anyway, that created a conversation. And then, uh, you know, in the end, they actually saw, you know, my point. And that created a one international which is now Bono's organization, I got called to come in and find a way to help them understand that the message they're trying to portray in, in Europe is totally different to what's happening on the ground. It's such an amazing story that after suffering this abuse and neglect, lack of education, 16, you taught yourself to do all of these things that people with tremendous opportunities in many cases haven't haven't learned to do, such as coding, the way you have. I mean, it raises the question, Miriam, whether you're just an extraordinary person or whether you're a model that a lot of other um, poor people can follow. I get asked that question. I don't think I'm, I'm special, but I think that the, the trauma I've lived as a child you know, will never go away, it's still, it's still on me. And um, I see that with young girls growing up in refugee camps, for example. When you've been through difficulty in life and uh, you've been through trauma, you try to find a way to get by. And uh, this is the mentality I have now where I live day by day. Every day is, is another day. And um, I just think that, you know, I become very tenacious in getting things done. Why the focus on coding as the skill that can provide this vehicle, particularly for for girls, to get out of their terrible circumstances? I mean, presumably there are lots of skills you could learn as a, as a young person that would help you out of poverty, help give you access to power to the wider world. It started when I started to learn maths at the library and then uh, starting reading dictionaries and understanding words because bear in mind when I came to the UK, I couldn't understand English. I couldn't decode the information and so you could put words in front of me. I wouldn't really understand them. I used to pick up books with numbers and I started coding, really using HTML words from the beginning because I could put some, some numbers and then it will translate on a page. And then I think that what I'm trying to do now is trying to talk to girls about digital skills and um, and many many of the applications we use around the world for example people don't know how it was made and I, I've been always fascinated in how things are made and designed and uh, you know who is behind the, the things doing things um, and I like to to see things being translated in numbers but also being translated in words and I see this with uh, refugees now and Syrian refugees and people in Lebanon for example when you are poor or you've been traumatized, you are you consume information very, very quickly. So I have a photographic memory where I don't forget things. All that uh, that combination have helped me to learn how to code seven coding languages in two years. And then I had to go back to the agency to tell them, actually, now I'm a coder. And the lady didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> so so now I'm a coder and I build a website and I'm a full stack developer. I, I, I really like numbers and, and words, yeah. Your organization has the very suggestive and interesting name, I Am The Code, which I guess speaks to that pride in in learning it. But also, you know, we use the expression cracking the code when you figure something out. And it's not just learning to 
program and write software, but figuring out this larger code of how the world works? Am I reading too much into your, the name of your organization? No, no, you're absolutely right. But I think there was something else about it because I think what happened is during the years, I was called to um, give a, you know, a major speech at um, Davos and I was very, very nervous and I didn't know what to do and what to say. I've never met those influential, powerful people before. And then I, I said to my son, you know, what do you think I should say? My son said, well, mommy, you are the code. And um, <laughs> what I translated from that conversation was, uh, you know, I'm tenacious. I don't give up, um, you know, despite all the tumultuous childhood I had, I don't give up. And then despite that, I'm helping other young women to, to get confidence. And uh, that then created a, a massive conversation at Davos because I I was the first Senegalese woman to teach uh, white middle class women in Guildford where I live how to code. And now we have uh, many, many women coding there. But what I'm saying is that, yes, you are the code, you can learn how to code, but at the same time, you have the key to unlock your life. You have the key to build your life despite, um, you know, all the challenges and all the difficulty. You can get this key and go in and open the doors for yourself and for other people. Uh, so I Am The Code is about coding at the same time. It's about giving women and girls uh, power to go and change their lives. Software has traditionally been dominated by men and so many of the issues we're seeing now around harassment and abuse online, around uh, software encoding, discrimination, seems to reflect to some extent that it's men who've written most of it. Do you see that as part of the problem you're addressing by bringing women into uh, coding and software design? That's true. Men men have done that. Uh, but I think also, you know, women used to crack the code and they used to decode information, but they never had any visibility uh, or any credit given to them for many, many years. We had many women inventors who understood mathematics and science. Uh, they understood so many, uh, you know, how the world was functioning. They actually, you know, if you just look at the GPS, was invented by uh, by a woman. But I think sometimes we just forgot those stories and those inventors who have helped us become who we are today. You know, we're not giving confidence to young women to to go for it, not just, uh, you know, because they can, but also women have more empathy, uh, they have more compassion and kindness when they're designing solutions because they design solutions for their communities and for, you know, the real problems. Men, they design things because they, you know, it's kind of like cool and they can make money or they can just launch an IPO very quickly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, women design things to, you know, to help their communities and help their friends. Uh, that's what I saw my young women actually doing. In uh, It's one thing to try to teach women to code in Guildford. It's another thing to try to teach young women to code in Senegal, for example. There must be a lot of obstacles to trying to, to set up and communicate what you're trying to communicate in some of the places you're trying to do it. Can you talk about some of those challenges? That's very true. We we have a lot of challenges where the women we have in Guildford are totally different to the women we have in uh, in the refugee camp in Kenya or in Senegal. But I, what I've learned during the last three years is that it's not a location problem. It's actually they're all smart young women who want to learn uh, you know, a different skill. So we have changed the word coding to digital skills. For example, we are helping young women to become digitally intelligent. They know how Instagram was created, how Facebook was created, and we help them get into the information 
information where they know how actually the solution were created. Um, and I think that if we start giving young women and girls the power to uh, understand, you know, how wireframes are made and how things are written, uh, the code behind it, how to edit it and how to review the code and how to make it more empathetic, for example, or how the AI, how the data was collected and, and who is involved. Um, we're now in 64 countries. I've seen so many young women and girls um, and it's really not a location problem, but it's a systematic problem. And that's why going and teaching young women and girls basic mathematics and basic science and, and helping them understand the global issues like climate change, gender equality, uh, you know, how do you reduce inequality and how do you get a bank account? Uh, things like that uh, helps a young woman to become very powerful because she knows she's participating that's how she changed her community, changed change her lives, uh, and then there's less abuse, for example, and she's, uh, she's very, very confident afterward. I think the training sessions you run are open to boys as well, although maybe they're more girls than boys. Is there a difference in trying to teach girls versus teach boys to code? No, no, there's no big difference. Um, the reason why we wanted to include some of the boys, because we, when we set up I Am The Code, the mission was to actually get one million uh, women and girls coders. And we find out that when we're doing the, the clubs, boys want to be part of it. And if you look into some Muslim countries, like in Afghanistan, in Senegal, in Sudan, for example, we need to get the boys involved. And in Mali, in Niger, because um, despite us going and teaching girls how to code, there are some societal issues where the young woman is still, you know, looked down to, uh, you know, they, the parents are not very confident in letting them go. So we get the young boys, uh, you know, who are almost like their brothers and their cousins to be part of the clubs and then support the young women to be part of it. Uh, in Senegal, we had to get some of the boys to come and support the young women. And we respect the culture of the countries, but it's very important we teach young boys gender equality and how to be kind to young women and girls. And then they usually work together. Uh, we just want to make sure that we create a little bit of balance, but also help young boys to be part of the I Am The Code movement. Because I believe that the only way we can uh, achieve gender equality is by educating uh, boys and men to, um, to understand women issues. Some of the people you've taught have already started to have meaningful success in their careers, and some of them are, are becoming entrepreneurs. Is that part of your mission? Are you helping to coach people to start their own businesses, to start their own organizations? Yeah, well, I mean, we have women millionaires in Senegal. <laughs> So we have uh, yeah we have amazing young women who are now entrepreneurs. They're doing amazingly well in their countries. They're building solutions. They're sitting government, for example. They sit in telecom companies. You know, some of our young girls are now mothers. Their children are now coming back to the I Am The Code program. The I Am The Code idea has been cooking for the last five years uh, and beyond that. So all the young women I've been mentoring for the last 10 years have now become, you know, the I Am The Code ambassadors. They're taking I Am The Code in their communities. It has almost become uh, this this family now. People are paying back and giving back to the community. And they're now building their businesses, which are really, really important for the Africa tech ecosystem. Because in the past, we didn't think about women as agent of change or, you know, agent of uh, economic development. But we thought many uh, African women, young women, were seen as object of development. Uh, you know, the NGOs 
just, you know, giving handout and helping them with agriculture programs, things like that. But now the women are actually designing their own uh, e-commerce sites. They're designing their own uh, solutions in Senegal. In Kenya, for example, they are climate change activists. Um, they're using technology to create campaigns, for example. One of our young women in Kenya has done a lot of work on deforestation. So the idea really is to use technology as a way of empowering these young women and girls. But at the same time, teaching them skills that will give them job, give them money, uh, and ultimately, you know, they become uh, very proud of themselves. That's that's the goal of I Am The Code. You talk about teaching a million girls to code by 2030 in, in just a decade. How are you doing on that goal and how realistic is that? Oh, it's very realistic. Uh, we've done so far 14,000 young women and girls are part of the I Am The Code program. Uh, and we didn't have any PR, any marketing. We're in 64 countries. It's really overwhelming to see how the, the program has reached so many, many uh, women, not just in Africa, but across the world, in China, in Japan. It's very large now, and, and uh, it's, it's quite uh, humbling to see young women having their lives uh, changed through I Am The Code. I didn't expect that. So 14,000 to a million, you have, by my calculation, 986,000 to go. <laughs> uh, how, how will you finance that? Who will help to support you in that incredibly ambitious goal? We will reach the goal because we have over 27 uh, companies worldwide who have committed to the number already. And so we are working with corporates to get their staff members to become volunteers. We have women calling us. They want to become champions. So they want to use their network to to help uh, spread the word. Like, you know, your program is definitely going to help us, you know, get more visibility out there. Uh, and we also have digital clubs. We have hackathons. We have, uh, you know, so many boot camps. People are just joining because they can see that uh, it makes sense. So, yeah, we have ambitions plans this year at the United Nations, but also next year, 2020, is a big uh, is a big milestone for us because some of the girls are getting scholarships. Now we have young girls actually coming to work for I Am The Code. Miriam, I know listeners are hearing you talk and asking what they can do to help support your efforts and the goal generally. What are some of the things that, that people listening might be able to do to advance the goal? They can definitely become mentors to the girls. Uh, they can become ambassadors of I Am The Code. They can run their own hackathons. They can provide space for us. They can be part of the you know the movement to get young, some of the young girls coding. We have many corporate organizations, for example, who are giving us space. They're giving us some hours to volunteer for I Am The Code, and they're opening their offices to have digital club. And they're also traveling with us to meet the girls in the most difficult places around the world. Uh, we are the first organization to go into refugee camp in uh, in Kenya, where 200,000 people live in the refugee camp. 18,000 of them are women and girls, and they are the first young women and girls in a refugee camp to learn how to code. Um, and we in slums, with favelas in Brazil. We are in places where I grew up as a young girl, and the reason why I'm going back there is to um, to tell the world that those people they matter by going back and giving holding those young girls' hand and helping them to be confident and to also gain a skill. I believe that coding is the future if they can decode information and build a website or build an app and get some skills to help them get money. They wouldn't be trafficked. They wouldn't be young prostitutes. They wouldn't be abused because they have to depend on someone else. So I'm trying to change society problems at the same time giving young women um, skills so they don't end up like myself. And how about here in the United States, Maryam? Is there a role for your organization to play here? Are you active here? 
We have some uh, major banks who won't support I am the code and hopefully we're going to go to deprive communities because our content is free. People can use them in prisons, they can use them in places. In the UK we go to prisons and places where we can rehabilitate people. So we're hoping that by the beginning of 2020 I am the code will be in the United States. Yeah. It's such an audacious idea to say someone who's been a victim of trafficking should be writing software. Have you seen other women who followed the kind of path that you did and had that extraordinary transformation? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen many women who, some women who've been trafficked and had difficulty in their life, but mainly they go into the activism world and share their stories with other people around the world. But for me, that's not enough. I'm a pioneer in system change. That's what I do. I, I change systems in countries and in government. And I believe that the reason why I was trafficked from Senegal and the reason why my mother actually abandoned us as children and, and um, you know, I was abused and raped by my Quranic teacher in my country in Senegal and ultimately trafficked from Senegal is because the system of the country was broken. And so what I try to do if I am the court at the same time is how do you fix systems in countries? How do you educate government and the private sector to understand that actually, you know, if you mess up one child's life, you know, just messing up her life, but you're messing up the entire community's life. For example, we don't have birth certificate. We totally are incognito in Senegal. And I see this today in refugee camp where, you know, the West is just watching things happening to, to millions of women and girls from Senegal to Nepal. So unless someone come up with something very ambitious and very uh, ruthless like I am the code, nothing will happen. And I've seen change happening from from Buenos Aires to um, to Senegal just because I dare to to be visible and I dare to tell the world, if you don't want to find out any more women being trafficked and taken away, you have to change the system in the country. You don't want to have any more immigrants in Europe or in the United States. Change the system in their countries. Give them the skills. And then as soon as you do that, they wouldn't need to come here. That's why I want young girls to have the skills in their countries and build their businesses in their countries. And if they want to travel, they can have a they can travel in a very legal way without being insulted. I'm just trying to fix some of the, the problems the world has failed to fix. Miriam, I'm moved by your story and inspired by what you're trying to accomplish. Thanks for joining us on Solvable. Thank you for having me here. Wow. So an incredible personal journey Mariam has made. But to me, what is so thrilling to hear about is the scale of her ambition. And also her belief that other women and some men can use tech skills to thrive and flourish the way she has. Mariam's a disruptor in the best way possible. Okay, I've got to go and write a strongly worded blog post to Bono and Bob Geldof now, and I'd advise you all to do the same. Or maybe more practically, why don't you see how you can get involved in her mission at IamTheCode.org. Solvable is a collaboration between Pushkin Industries and the Rockefeller Foundation with production by Chalk and Blade. Pushkin's executive producer is Mia Lobel, engineering by Jason Gambrell and the fine folks at GSI Studios. Original music composed by Pascal Wise. Special thanks to Maggie Taylor, Heather Fain, Julia Barton, Carly Migliori, Cher Vincent, Jacob Weisberg and Malcolm Gladwell. You can learn more about solving today's biggest problems at rockefellerfoundation.org solvable. I'm Maeve Higgins. Now go solve it.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. 